0: Welcome back to Crossing the Jordan, everyone. Today, we are going to wrap up the three-part series of three-part episodes um, on the priesthood that's found in the Catholic Church, and that was there from the beginning and established by Jesus. So, the, first, the last uh, two episodes that you heard about the priesthood is the biblical foundation, um, and you can see that Jesus founded a ministerial priesthood, Right. Um, And so, this last episode, I want to talk about just different aspects of that priesthood, right? So, we're going to talk about the male-only priesthood, celibacy in the priesthood, and calling priest father. So, I think the first two topics of the male-only priesthood and celibacy is a good uh, opportunity to kind of dive into and see the difference in in the distinguishment between the like disciplines and doctrines of the Catholic faith that can be changed, right? And other ones that cannot be changed, Um, So let's get into it. So the male-only priesthood. So why are there only men in the priesthood that are ordained? So essentially it boils down to this. Jesus only ordained men and the Catholic Church, his kingdom, cannot change what the king has already done, right? So it has to follow the master. The master only instituted the priesthood, um, only instituted or ordained men for his priesthood, right? So um and there are a few reasons for this right so first off a ministerial priest especially in the context of mass or ministering the sacraments they are in persona christi right they are in the person of jesus christ right they are representing jesus and so all the way from the beginning, God has revealed himself in the masculine, right? So like God is outside of his creatures. So he is not male or female in his essence, right? He is n- neither or, but he has always represented himself or revealed himself as he, right? So him in the masculine, and there's a few reasons to this that we're going to get into for a second. But so he's revealed himself as man, but then also in most explicitly in the person of Jesus Christ, right? So the God man. Jesus was man. And so to, and there's reasons for this. So here are a few of them. God uh, is a life giver, right? So when you look at, and this is a little bit of theology of the body, uh, but like when you look at the nature of how men and women are created, men are giving of themselves to a woman, right? So like in the marital act uh, that happens, a man is giving right? Where a woman is receiving, right? So she is receiving. Um, And so God is a life giver. So in his nature, he is a life giver, right? He creates and he uh, gives life. And we as the church are receiving, right? So Jesus, in the fulfillment of of time, Jesus, God, the Son of God, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, took on flesh and he became man, right? And then there's this imagery right from the very beginning of Scripture and at the end of Scripture, and Jesus as the bride and the church as the bridegroom, okay? So there's this male, Jesus, giving life to his bride, the church. And everybody that's in the part of the church, we are in this feminine act, right? Because we are the church, we are the the we are the the bride. We receive what Jesus is giving, which is life, right? So God, Jesus uh, uh, reveals Himself in a masculine way. He only ordained men and to the priesthood that we saw in the last two episodes, and. They stand in persona Christi, in the person of Jesus, right? So every single time you go to mass, when you perform the sacraments, we are as like the bride, right? So we are receiving what Jesus through the priest is giving, okay? So in the Bible, the times where we see like women deaconesses. So in the very early church, they had women deaconesses to assist the presbyteroi, the priests and the bishops um, for baptism because people would be baptized in the nude. So they would have women deaconesses to help out with that. Through, as the church went on, that went away as far as like nude baptisms or uh, like private baptisms for women where it became uh, more, I guess, modest and you would be in public uh, in front of the church. So then it, that was no longer needed. That was purely the reason at the very beginning. But none of this is to ever say women are inferior, right? God created both man and woman in his image and likeness. And when you see from the very beginning, woman is taken out of Adam's side. It's interesting that he doesn't take her out of, like, another part of his body, like, lower or higher. It's from his side, right? So they're equal in the sense in their dignity and in the image and likeness of God. And, but women are, and in fact, like, there are women that could be better teachers. They could be better preachers. They could be better uh um I guess, pastors, and they'd be more understanding and they're smarter, (laughs) right? And etc. But just as we said, women and men fulfill different roles. Okay. And actually, nobody has lifted up the dignity and roles of women more than Jesus Christ and his church precisely because men and women are, are created in the image and likeness of God and are equal in dignity, but operate and are naturally different, right? So as the church, we are in the feminine and we receive Jesus. He is the masculine and so are his priests who are in persona Christi that are giving life, right? So they are like fathers and men that, that they give life to. So they're in persona Christi and the church can never change what Jesus has already put uh, and established in his church, mainly the male priesthood. Uh, the male-only priesthood, and that can never change, no matter what, even if we wanted to. Now, when it comes to celibacy in the Catholic Church, it's actually in only certain rites of the church, right? So, in America, it's typically the you'll it's most prominently the Roman or the Latin rite, okay? So this is actually a doctrine that can be changed. And actually, there's other parts of Orthodox, the Orthodox Church and different rites of the Catholic Church where this isn't a requirement or a discipline to follow where men uh, in the priesthood have to be celibate. But there are very, very good reasons on why they should be celibate, okay? So... Uh, and it's a doctrine that could change, but we see it's preferred. And even, uh, so Jesus himself in Matthew nineteen twelve, he says that some people make themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of God. So he's already declaring that there's going to be people in his church that make themselves eunuchs. So eunuchs are people that are celibate. Okay. So they are not in the married life and they're not going to perform the marital act. And uh Saint Paul himself, in first corinthians seven seven in the context of describing marriage, he says that he wishes everyone would could be like him to be celibate because then he doesn't have to worry about pleasing his wife. All he has to worry about is pleasing God and just do whatever he wants in a sense of in his ministry to completely give of himself to God and spreading the gospel and no, uh, we 're all called to do that, but it 's different right because when in a marriage, we are supposed to reflect the love of jesus so uh, in Ephesians five, Jesus or uh, Saint Paul refers to a marriage like the church uh, and Jesus relationship, and what did Jesus do? He died for the church, and the church submits to Jesus, and so uh, a man and a woman are supposed to reflect that a complete giving of of, of themselves, right? A com- holding nothing back because Jesus held nothing back from his church, right? And that's one reason why the church would say uh, any form of contraception is not the proper way to express love because that's not expressing jesus love and that's one of many reasons but i will talk about that in another episode but anyways so st paul wishes everyone could be like him which is celibate and so why would this be though one reason is because it reflects jesus to his only spouse the church more perfectly because jesus wasn't married and the church is his only bride. So a priest is standing in persona Christi, and his bride is the church, right? So he is dedicated to the church. He only has one obligation to to uh, um, be under the church and to serve the church and the body of Christ and building up the body of Christ and pastoring and leading people to Jesus, right? So parish, the term parish literally means like pilgrims, right? So Uh, a priest can be a pastor at a church or a parish because we're all pilgrims and they're supposed to be leading us, right? That's where the term pastor comes from, is to pastor Jesus's sheep. And if anybody knows any priest, especially diocesan priests, where they typically are pastors of a church or a congregation or a community and they lead them, they typically only have one day off and that's still still, uh, that day. They have to be ready whenever, when people need them. They're constantly going from... From funeral to a marriage to a baptism to um, ministering the sacraments, visiting the sick, visiting the people that cannot go home, people that are dying, that are just getting random calls in the middle of the night, they are on the go all the time. And there is absolutely no way to serve both a family and a parish, right? So there would be conflicting things. There wouldn't be a healthy family life, and it definitely wouldn't uh, be healthy for the church, right? So because this is not a another job. This is their vocation. This is, exact, this is what they do 24-7. They're never a priest Monday through Saturday. And then they're just chilling on Sunday. No, they're a priest forever. When they're ordained a priest, there is a uh, a permanent mark on their soul that they are a priest forever, no matter what happens after that. And so they are serving Jesus' church to the fullest. and uh, And another reason for this is all all consecration. So uh, all consecrated people, so priesthood or religious life, so nuns or. Um, other religious brothers or religious sisters and the priests who are all consecrated to Jesus and his church, they are supposed to reflect to us. They're supposed to remind us when we see them, what is the reality of heaven, right? And Jesus tells us this in Matthew uh, Matthew 22, when the Pharisees or Sadducees ask him about this situation where this woman has a husband and the husband dies. And then the brother is supposed to take up his duties and provide children for, the, for that woman. And the second one dies, and it goes on to seven people, but neither of them, ha- none of them, have children. And they ask, "So what happens in the day of the resurrection?" And he says, "People in heaven, they're like the angels, where there is no giving uh, in marriage, right? They are there is no marriage. They're not together uh, in marriage in heaven. So uh, that they are only dedicated to God, right? So in heaven is the perfect." wedding supper of the lamb it's jesus and his bride the church that is the only wedding because that is what god has always longed for us to have is this complete union that is only in caps, only we can only fathom it in the context of a marriage supper right and that's why the very beginning looks like a marriage the, re- the end in Reve- the book of revelation looks like a marriage and in the be- and in the middle when jesus refers to himself he is he is the the bridegroom and so, and so that's what their celibacy reminds us of, is that in reality in heaven, once we get to heaven, there is no giving of each other in marriage. There is only one marriage, and that's between God and his people, his church, the bride. And so every single time we see a, a nun with a habit on or a, a sister with a habit on or a consecrated brother, that's what is also supposed to remind us of is the reality of heaven. So that's another reason why they should, uh, for celibacy and so um, specifically let's talk about just celibacy in the light of the sex abuse scandal that's going on in the church right now and this very doctrine of celibacy can be under attack because it's an, it seems like an easy uh, target to be like well there's the problem we got we got men and women uh, specifically men trying to be celibate and it's just not it's just not real it's not that it's not realistic to uphold them to them standards so that's why we have this huge sex abuse scandal well let's put this into context so first no matter how many people are hurt in this one person is it's always going to be horrifically wrong for any abuse to ever happen within the church even if it's just one person let's just start there However, when you look at just the overall population of priests that have been accused of these things, it's roughly between uh, 1% and 3% are percentages that I've seen. And so even if it was 0.0001, it's too high, right? No matter what it is. However, let's just put this into context. 1% to 3%. Where sex abuse and specifically uh, pedophilia is the most prominent are married men, people that are sexually active. This is not a celibate issue. This is a human being issue where our entire world tells us to feed on your own desires, to feed on your own pleasures, and to go off of your impulses. And you, there's nothing you can do to help it. It's natural to want it that bad where it turns into perversion. So sex is a complete gift from God. It is just like I, saints have said it, bishops have said it, that it's not that the, the, that we say that sex isn't good or that people value it too high. No, we say actually the world doesn't value it enough and see the glory and the gift of giving of one of another to reflect the love of God, which is a complete gift of self, right? That's the ultimate gift of self, and that's what marriage is supposed to look like. And so because of this distortion of the world... Everybody, it's everywhere. We see the Boy Scouts of America. There, I mean, millions and millions of kids are just come out that um, there was a huge sex abuse scandal going on. And this is happening everywhere in marriages, in other churches outside of the Catholic Church, where people are married and are sexually active, and yet they still act out in this way because. There is this huge sexual perversion that has entered into this world, and the world says that we can't control. we're just basically like monsters that can't control ourselves and just to act on your impulse. But you know what? The only thing that can fix it is everybody upholding what the church actually teaches because it, nobody upholds the dignity, the value, and the freedom of being a human, human being as the church does. And so just like every sin that ever happens, it's an offense against God. The only answer to it is following Jesus and his church because the church has the fullness of the teaching of the dignity of a human being and to live life in freedom. And that's this is what God came and gave us. He gave us life in the Holy Spirit to give us an uh he, he is the one that makes it possible to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. He is the one that gives us grace to defeat sin and death. It's his life and us that defeat all that crap. <laughs> so if we can follow Jesus, um, that is where we find it is in the Catholic church. So any sin, whether it's from a lay person, a person outside the church, and specifically people that are priests or bishops, when they do that, the answer to it is actually just do what the church teaches. And it's when it falls apart is... Not following what the church teaches, so you're going to see from this, no church teaching is going to change because the church teaching is perfect on on morality and dignity of human beings. What needs to change are people uh, and their willingness to follow Jesus and um, to get their uh, desires in line with Jesus and His church. So celibacy is not the issue um so i'll just leave it at that but all right so the last topic let's just talk about really quick calling priest father so um this when i wasn't catholic yet i was like right there in matthew 23 uh 8 jesus says call call no man father and here we are calling everybody father in the catholic church so the background for this statement goes back to the meaning of the name in Hebrew, uh, which in the name of something in Israelite literature was its essence or its nature, right? He says, call no man father, no man teacher, no man rabuni. But then he calls everybody, <laughs> then we call each other father and teacher and rabuni. And if he was meaning this in a strict sense, well, then we're all, we're all not following that, that, that teaching. What he's saying is that we only have one heavenly father, and Jesus himself refers to Israel's patriarch as Father Abraham in Luke sixteen twenty four. So he would be going against his own teaching if he meant that literally. And then in Saint Paul He calls Abraham our father in several passages, including including Romans 4.11, and even refers to himself as the father of us all in 4.16. Abraham is the father of us all in Romans 4.16. And Paul goes on to liken himself to a father in Philippians 2.22 and 1 Thessalonians 2.11. And he tells the Corinthians, I have become your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel, 1 Corinthians 4.15. And he speaks of Onesimus whose father I became in prison in Philippians 1.10. And then he also refers to the fathers of Israel in 1 Corinthians 10.11 and Galatians 1.14. And the author of the book of Hebrews lists like the fathers, the patriarchs for basically all of uh, the, I believe it's Hebrews 10 or 11. And he's going through all these patriarchs, the fathers of uh, the forefathers of the Jewish people, right? And, um, even in first John two thirteen, he is says, I'm writing to you fathers. Then he says, I'm writing to you young men. I'm writing to you children. And even Protestant commentators acknowledge that John is probably right here actually referring to two, two different categories of spiritual maturity. So he, that it could be children might be catechumens, young men, those initiated into the faith, and fathers as the leaders of the congregation, whom we know from other texts were usually called the presbyteroi or elders of the church, right? So those were like the bishops and, and priests. And so we there see right from the beginning that uh, priests and the leaders of the church were, be call, be called, were being called father. And we learned in the papacy episode that we had that um, when we were talking about the fulfillment of Isaiah 2222 22, when Jesus gives Peters the keys of the kingdom right So back in Isaiah 22:22 22, 22, when he got the keys the the Prime minister was giving his keys over to another prime minister who are the king key, the keys resembling the authority of the king while he's gone away just like Jesus he goes away and he gives his church he gives the Pope his keys as the prime minister. And in that context of Isaiah 22, he says that you're going to become the father of the inhabitants of Jerusalem. So that's the fulfillment of, that's where the Pope has always been called father. That's where we get the term Pope. And all leaders of the church, the presbyteroi, the elders, the bishops, the priests have all been called father from the beginning. We see that in scripture. We see that in history. We see that in, um, all the way down to today. And that's why we call priest father. So I hope this entire series of the priesthood was extremely fruitful for you. Please share it with anybody that you think would benefit from this. And uh, this is a good segue to move into the sacraments of the Catholic Church, specifically the Eucharist, the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus, the source and summit of the Christian faith. Can't wait to talk to you guys soon. God bless you. Praying for you.